0: Hello, and thank you for joining us today. This is Victoria Schneps, and I'm here with my dear friend, Geraldo Rivera. Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is Straight Talk, health and wellness brought to you by HIPAAvideo.net. You know Geraldo from his Emmy Award-winning television career. You might not know... Yeah, but he's also an attorney, an advocate, and a world-renowned journalist. I'm honored to have him co-host this podcast with me. The world has changed. Although telemedicine has been available, the use of it has exploded. We're delighted to be brought to you today by HIPAA Video.
1: Thank you, Vicki. Great to be here with you. I'm thrilled to be uh, helping you uh, co-host this weekly podcast. In each episode, we'll bring you straight talk from doctors, nutritionists, and newsmakers on issues that are critical to your health and wellness. I want to tell you first uh, how Vicky and I met. I remember almost a half century ago, how the two of us and a great gang of moms and activists worked together to help move the world on how people with disabilities live their lives. Today, there are challenges, again, just to stay alive and well. We'll present some powerful opportunities to learn about health and wellness. With this series, we'll present some powerful ideas to change your lives as well.
0: Well, yes, Haroldo, it has been a lifetime ago when we met, and I was marching and advocating for my daughter, Lara, at Willowbrook. You put the spotlight on the problem, and we're continuing to make changes today. And now, with this powerful podcast, our program is brought to you by HIPAAvideo.net, the company that has revolutionized the way to bring you professional services right into your home, through your phone or your computer. Vito Lamonico is president and managing partner of HIPAAvideo.net.
1: First, Vicki, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to talk about our platform, especially in the midst of this COVID pandemic. Yeah, we, we, created, we created HIPAA Video to be extremely cost effective. At $25 a month for unlimited usage, we think it's a no-brainer for any healthcare organization or individual healthcare professional. Got a lot of customers ask if we provide a BA, and we do. Craig, you want to tell
0: us what that is? I'd like to introduce Craig Waldrup, who is the vice president. The company's both support and product knowledge. So, you're the expert in the town right now.
2: So, a BAA stands for Business Associate Agreement. What it allows us to do is for HIPAA compliance purposes, a provider needs to have that in place with uh, an organization such as us to ensure that they're utilizing a tool that that complies with HIPAA yeah. regulations.
1: Basically, if I cut correct, we're guaranteeing that we're HIPAA compliant. That's what we're doing. And the healthcare professional can hang their hat on that document.
0: So I, you know, I was married to a physician, maybe rest in peace, but um, I know that the insurance is a key element of getting paid for this now that you couldn't before. So right. is that, is there anything in that of uh, the fact that you're seeing somebody over um, a, a computer or mobile phone, um, make it because you're BAAs that help with their reimbursements? I mean, is there anything in that place? Well, yeah, it's a requirement.
1: They have to have, any business associate has to sign a BA or it's not, you know, they're not following the HIPAA rules. So essentially the doctor or healthcare professional needs that to prove that they're dealing with a HIPAA compliant platform. Now, right now during COVID, those rules are suspended, but that's only
0: temporary. Craig, I'd like to ask you a very important question to any professional. How do they get paid How does this allow them to get reimbursed? Can you explain that?
2: Uh, The reimbursement side is dependent on, of course, the the client's uh, insurance, whether it's a private insurance or some sort, um, and they would go directly from their their billing uh, to be reimbursed. But with HIPAA-compliant applications like ours, they need to, of course, sometimes go back to the insurer to say they are using a HIPAA-compliant tool, which is why we also provide a business associate agreement which confirms that we are a HIPAA compliant tool that they're using so that they can get reimbursed.
0: That's very important to have that protection. And I think it's a great asset to HIPAAvideo.net. And for more details, go to HIPAAvideo.net and their website that explains all the things we're talking about. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you, Vito, for your time.
1: Thank you, we appreciate it, Vicki, very much. Thank you, Vicki.
0: Welcome, Dr. Joel Student. Dr. Joel Student is a renowned plastic surgeon, and I'm so delighted that he's here today on Straight Talk, Health and Wellness, brought to you by HIPAAvideo.net. So, Dr. Student, I hear you're one of their great clients at HIPAAvideo.
3: Yes, I use it, and it's it's very convenient, that's for sure. You don't have to worry about... uh running into HIPAA problems and confidentiality problems when you speak to patients.
0: So tell me a little bit about how are you surviving? How, what do you see now with elective surgery being able to happen again? What is your perspective? Where do we sit well, in New York state down Well, we are not New York state. We are the New York city region, Long Island.
3: Well, I think that um, right now the question is still up in the air in terms of when this is going to come back, and the reason is there have been a series of goals that had to be met in order to conclude that the curve was on the way down enough that there's not going to be an immediate flare-up when you allow people to be in front of other people. Now, you would think in upstate New York where it's sparsely populated or the southern tier where it's sparsely populated that they would have met all the criteria. Well, it's actually pretty interesting. They've met all the criteria clinically with a decrease in new cases, a decrease in hospitalizations, and a decrease in deaths. One of the criteria that's been set forth is a minimum standard of testing where a minimum percentage of the population has been tested. So in those areas that are more rural, they have not met the minimal testing criteria of what percentage of the population has been tested. On the other hand, downstate, Long Island, um, the New York City area, um, and many of the other more populated areas, interestingly, the extreme western New York State, Buffalo, and the area around Buffalo as well, are the areas that have met the testing criteria, but they've Mm. not met, the 3-day decrease in hospitalizations, new cases identified and deaths. So, as of now or as of yesterday, which is, you know, May 14th, none of the state has met all the criteria. I suspect that the more rural areas are going to be re- reopening phase 1, which are things like construction and outdoor sports activities and restaurants reopening outdoors with social distancing. Um, I don't see phase two, which is where cosmetic surgery would come in, which is uh, professional services happening uh, for two weeks after we meet the criteria for phase one, which we haven't met yet. So you've got a minimum of, you know, two to four weeks yet before that happens.
0: And, you know, I know that the hospitals um, have been reporting that the tremendous Costs and intensity of cleaning out the hospital rooms and space from the vents to the floors to the walls to get ready for elect- elective surgery. Have you been hearing that as well?
3: Well, I think there's a, 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 there are two parts to that. Number one, a lot of the hospital staff are still somewhat overwhelmed because while it's way down, the you know, the COVID load on the hospitals still is putting more pressure on than they're used to handling on an average basis. I mean, at the peak, there were two deaths per hour in Elmhurst Hospital, which is just an unbelievable Mm. statistic. And so now we're saying that it's down, but it's not down to the point where it's not pressuring the hospitals. And Mm -hmm. you've still got a difficult supply chain with regard to personal protective equipment. And so Mm. it's, Less a, a, a function of cleaning the hospitals, and more a function of the staff recovering and the supply chain getting to the point where they've got enough in reserve that if you have a flare-up, it won't be an immediate disaster. So I think you've got you know a supply chain issue, a staff issue, and the cost involved in uh, in, in cleaning the hospitals and getting the rooms ready.
0: So how are you as a plastic surgeon? Tell me a little bit about some of the things that you think would be the first uh, surgeries that you would be looking at for your practice.
3: Well, again, if we're going to use the word plastic surgery, it's happening already. The, one of the more common uh, ways that COVID presents itself is somebody gets dizzy, keels over, smacks their head open, Runs to the emergency room, doesn't real, I'm not kidding. It's been, it's been unbelievable in terms of that number. Um, you know, runs to the emergency room, gets their face or their head sewn up and finds out that they test positive. And so, you know, there's ongoing surgery right now in plastic surgery in terms of emergencies every minute of every day. Um, it's actually fairly common. Now, if we're talking about cosmetic surgery, which is that small portion of plastic surgery, and I think that we're three to four weeks away from that happening in you know in the more populated areas of the state. I think that it all happens at the same time. I think that uh, the particular difficult challenge is going to be facial plastic surgery because you're in close proximity of the patient's nose, mouth, and uh, and, and breathing while you're doing the surgery with the inability to put a mask on the patient even though you're wearing one. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a little more risky. I think that uh, body surgery will be a little less risky, but I highly doubt that there's going to be a separation in the regulations of facial surgery and body surgery. I think the ear, nose, and throat doctors and plastic surgeons doing facial surgery are just going to have to be a lot more careful with double masking and personal protective equipment. But uh, I think we're three to four weeks away from seeing the uh, the opening in the more populated areas of uh, of purely elective cosmetic surgery.
0: So in this environment that we hope will be temporary, um, are there some things that you, uh, you know, this quarantine and, you know, my kids, uh, what do you mean you're going to get a haircut in the backyard? You know, even though you're wearing a face mask. No, 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 no. I mean, I think, where is the middle ground? I mean, is the testing really as accurate as you want to do? I mean it's such a strange world now. How are you navigating it for yourself and your family?
3: Well I have a different uh, a different outlook on this than you um, you know, than, than you're seeing on television by, 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 by a small i wouldn't say radically but enough that uh, that it, it's worth explaining. Um, you know, you're you're an old doctor. A young doctor comes into the ICU and hands you a test and says, wow, this patient is bleeding and they need an immediate transfusion. And, you know, the young doctor runs to the computer and immediately writes a transfusion order. The old doctor takes a look at the patient, sees that the patient is breathing fine, sitting up in pink, looks at the test and says, you know – before you order that transfusion, do a stat repeat of that test because the, the test and the clinical picture don't align. And I think that you have to look at the COVID situation along the old doctor um, lines as well. And what I mean by that is that the last two coronaviruses, you know, you had SARS and MERS, which were respiratory coronaviruses that came and went in the early 2000s and did not act like the flu, where it's kind of a mosaic virus where it continually makes new strains and continually shows itself as a new disease to your immune system. And so you get the flu and they keep making vaccines every year that include the last X number of flu strains in hopes of chasing the tail of this virus. The coronaviruses in the past have really behaved more like mumps, measles, and chickenpox. Which, as you know, once you get it, you don't get it again. And so I personally think that the IgG antibody testing is Mm -hmm. a pretty good indicator of immunity, at least for some period of time, to getting this disease again. Personally, um, I got the disease from a patient way early on, beginning of March, almost before it uh, became popular. I had luckily a very mild case, and I will tell you that I know of three doctors that died um, in this area, one a close friend um, and so it 's really a matter of you know uh, of luck and it 's totally random, none of them were old, none of them were very sick um, and For myself, uh, I had dizziness and a headache that lasted about four or five days. Uh, flush, no fever, and then a persistent cough for about two weeks. And then that was beginning of March and then about the uh, beginning of May, end of April, beginning of May when the testing became available, I tested positive by finger stick and then I tested positive by serology at the laboratory. So I've been tested twice, and I have the antibody. So for me, I believe that I'm immune. That said, I still wear a mask, I still wear gloves, and the reason is that my wife is not immune. And I'm one of the stupid plastic surgeons, Vicki. I'm married to the same person <laughs> 40 years. I'm not no, on my no fourth class. wife, like a lot of plastic <laughs> surgeons are. And I love my wife, so I prefer not to give her the virus. So Aww. the bottom line is, even though I'm immune you know, you have to be socially responsible. You have to realize that you can, well, you can't get it and cough it onto somebody if you're immune. You can get it on your hands and clothes and put it on a glass or a, a, a package that that person picks up and transmit it to that person. That's and so, person. I've got
0: to stop you for a second. I mean, my kids have, you know, packages come to the house. They don't bring them in the house. They've got gloves and things just to open the box.
3: Okay, what I do, what I do is I go outside. My wife doesn't. I pick up the packages. I bring them to the kitchen. No, I pick up the packages. I bring them to the kitchen, and I still have because I had it in the office beforehand a whole bunch of Purell. But what I'll do is I'll wipe down the packages. I won't put them on a surface that doesn't have a paper towel that gets thrown away until they're wiped down. Um, and then I'll Purell my hands significantly. Um, You know, you have to be careful with gloves also. And the reason is gloves, when I watch people that are not doctors with gloves, you're trained as a physician, your gloves are sterile. You don't touch something that's not sterile, they stay sterile. Many people use gloves as false security because what they forget is they'll go and they'll touch the package with the gloves, they'll put the package on the counter, now you've contaminated the counter, but then they'll touch the gloves to their face or they'll touch their gloves to something else. And so the gloves have now transferred the virus. And so I think that a lot of people use gloves as if it's some magic protection and they're not paying attention to the fact that once you touch something with a glove, the glove is contaminated. If you touch the glove to something else, that's contaminated. And so whether you use if you use gloves, just, you have to...
0: I know go ahead. this is a podcast, but I would I hate to tell but I know we're not going to be visual. But could you explain, my daughter just explained to me, Mom, you can't just take off the glove. You've got to be able to bring it back inside out. Can you explain even how to the right way to get rid of those? Yeah, gloves once sure. you no,
3: it's very easy. You take your index fingers, you cross your hands and you grab the cuffs of the two gloves with the opposite index finger and you pull to the middle. Now the gloves are inside out. Now here's what most people don't think of. Don't throw the gloves in the garbage. Put the gloves in the corner somewhere and don't use those gloves for two days. The reason is the virus can't survive for two or three days on the gloves. There's no reason to throw the gloves out every time. You just have to have enough gloves that you don't use the same set of gloves for two or three days because by then the virus is dead and you can use the same gloves again.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. I learned something new today. It's a great day. Thank you so much. This is Dr. Joel's Student, who is a renowned Practicing plastic surgeon and cosmetic surgeon, correct? Correct. And we are both happy to have heard from you today and learn more about dealing with a pandemic situation that we hope will be settling off. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being with us. This has been brought to you by HIPAAvideo.net. Thank you, Dr. Student. Thank you. Bye. Geraldo. Have you been using telemedicine yourself? You know,
1: that's interesting, Vicky, because with the pandemic, uh, telemedicine is now becoming all the rage here in Cleveland with the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals, uh, you know, two great medical institutions. They've all gone to telemedicine for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, it gets the word out. It's so much less expensive, so much wear, uh, less wear and tear on the patient and the doctors. So it's cost-effective. It's really a great way to get a doctor and a, and a patient speaking with one another in intimate circumstances of privacy, uh, good advice without the wear and tear of a personal visit. So uh, I think telemedicine is all the rage.
0: Well, I know that you have been used to traveling the globe. Um, what are you doing now that the world has all slowed down?
1: You know, the world certainly has shrunk, my world and your world and everyone's world. We don't travel much. We live in Cleveland, Ohio. I have my television studio here in my home. Uh, So I do my Fox News uh, appearances from here and then we do the radio show also from home. Eric and I, uh, Erica, my wife and I uh, co-host the radio show together. Uh, You know, we're having a lot of fun doing it. We don't agree on very much, but uh, we agree that we love each other
0: well listen that's what makes for good television that makes for good radio that makes for good journalism exactly. If we all taught the same thing life would not be very interesting and i know you keep life interesting thank you so much for being with me i'm so grateful and you know thank you for sharing your input and knowledge this is victoria schnipps straight talk health and wellness and thank you for tuning in we've been brought to you by hippovideo.net Get more information by going to their website. Our podcast can be heard on schnepsbroadcasting.com and wherever podcasts are heard. Vicki Schnepp signing off. Bye now.